You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen. Learn. Evolve. stars let me see what spring is like on jupiter and mars we just lost the listeners again didn't we please be true in other words baby kiss me fill my heart what listeners we don't have any listeners just you and me having a chat mate (laughs) true well can i switch off then (laughs) no no one listens to this show everyone's listening to your show including robert scoble yeah, yeah, he had a listen while he was on the trip, or at least I think he did. Had a listen to the uh, Generation Y show that I did the other day with Peter Sheehan. Yeah, can you turn your audio levels down? You're killing my ears again, man. How's that? Yeah, a bit better. Yeah, oh, that's good. That was a great interview. I really enjoyed that. He's a pretty switched-on guy. I'm not sure what he, how old he is now. He'd be in his late 20s, but by the age of 22, he'd written a, a best-selling book, and he's uh, all over the um, talk show circuit and stuff like that. So it's a fabulous story. And usually those guys come across like complete wankers, but um, he didn't on your show. I, I'd heard about him. I think I mentioned in your comment section, my wife heard him speak at that same PR thing you were at at the Gold Coast. Yeah. And she came back and said good things about him, and which is unusual for Belinda. And, um, but, you know, these guys, people who are analysts of behaviour, they're usually wankers and full of crap. But he actually, that was a great interview. He, he sounded quite sensible. Yeah, and I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, in the conversation we talked about Generation Y and how they're, they're already kind of, you know, what webloggers and, and stuff like that, you know, the whole um, transparent transparency and stuff like that. So he was, or I think he's already there, you know. You're having dinner, uh, lunch. Neutral grain for lunch, mate. <clears throat> Cornerstone of every nutritious diet. And it's 2 p.m. Yeah, I just got back for some meetings with uh, sponsors, mate. New sponsors. Uh, good meetings, good meetings. Good. Yeah. So, um, um, lots of stuff to talk about, man. Lots of stuff to talk about. Um, um, parenting advice from David Lee Roth. <laughs> How was the show? I, I haven't listened to any of it, but uh, is it good? Well, look, I think it depends if you're a David Lee Roth fan or not. I, you know, I stole half of my personality from David Lee Roth when I was about 14. I, I didn't have a personality. I mean, a lot of people would say I still don't. But when I was 14, I had no personality. And, um, and then when I saw the film clip for Jump, I decided I was going to have that one. So I, I basically <laughs> grew my hair long, you know, started wearing torn jeans with the ass cut out of them and uh, lots of crazy ass clothes. And, uh, hey, can you just give me a test? Well, oh, you know, I saw you like, just making sure I'm recording you today. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I you know, borrowed David Lee Ross' personality for many, many years and got me through a lot when I was a kid. So I've been a big fan of him for 20, 20 odd years, you know. So I love his show because it's him, man. I mean, it's if you've ever seen Dave interviewed over the years or read interviews with him, you know what to expect. He just talks shit, but it, it all kind of sounds like half philosophy, half mythology, half cabaret. But it, it doesn't make any sense. He's never made any sense when he talks. It's always, you know what they say. And then it just, some crap comes out. <laughs> and, and he laughs. And you, you go, right, okay, Dave. But, um, I actually, I, I actually believe David Lee Roth is an extremely clever guy and that the David Lee Roth persona that you see has, you know, he created himself, and it was part Marilyn Monroe and part Steve Tyler from Aerosmith. And, um, you know, he's done a lot of really interesting things in his time. You know, they, they, he put out a great biography uh, a few years back in the 90s called Crazy from the Heat. And it's a great book, you know, and, and it fleshed out a lot of stuff that you kind of read in interviews with Dave over the years and lots of photos to back it up. But Dave is one of these rock stars who, at the height of his success with Van Halen, 
you know, they would go on tour. When they'd finished touring, he would go to the Amazon. He would parachute into the Amazon with a, a chick, usually, and a Bowie knife, <laughs> and then would just, you know, trek across the Amazon with a compass and a Bowie knife for six weeks and have a helicopter pick him up at some other point. Pretending he's Rambo or something. No, no, just, you know, getting real and, and, and getting time out. And, and he would say, you know what, if you've been... Uh, you know, living um, in the Amazon jungle for six weeks with nothing but a Bowie knife, and then you go back and a speaker, an amp blows on stage, you, you can put it into perspective. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You, you don't go chucking a rock star tantrum because you've just been, you know, living on your own in the middle of the freaking jungle, living with the natives, and you understand what's important and what's not important. Yeah. And then, you know, as, as most people probably don't know, but for the last couple of years, when his music career hasn't exactly been booming... He went and uh, trained as a, an emergency medical technician and has been living in the Lower East Side of New York doing the graveyard shift, uh, running around in um, emergency ambulances, giving people resuscitation and all that kind of stuff. That's basically what he's been doing for the last couple of years in between gigs, you know. Wow. So he's not your average uh, pampered pussy rock star. He's also done about five hours of martial arts training every day for the last 30 years. And even though his hair's fallen out now and he's going slightly bald in the front there, he's still got a body that kicks ass. He's 55, uh, 60, 70, 80, 90. Yeah, he's 51 now. And he's still got a, you know, he's in kick-ass shape, you know, great martial artist. Um, so, yeah, he's a guy that I respect. He's played the game... You know, the, the, the Van Halen albums that he did between 78 and, and 83 are just some of the best rock music of all time. And I, so anyway, and his new radio gig, as people may or may not know, he took over from Howard Stern uh, doing the morning show at some radio station in the US. It's now called Free FM. And um, he's getting pilloried. He's getting a lot of uh, <laughs> criticism for it. But uh, And it's not being podcast, unfortunately, but... There's sort of snippets of it available on the website. But somebody downloaded the first show, recorded the first show, all three hours of it, and put it up. I I found it via BitTorrent. (laughs) So I've been listening to it, and it's great. It's kick-ass. It's a lot of fun. But here's my piece of parenting advice. Now, this is interesting, because my kids started school yesterday. My five-year-old twins started school. And they uh, we've, we've got them signed up for piano lessons. And we've been kind of talking about, you know, piano lessons and basketball lessons and that kind of stuff. Is it something you should let the kids try and then if they don't like it, let them quit, but you just sort of expose them to it? That's one school of thought, right? The mm. other school of thought, and we, were, we met with some other parents of twins recently whose kids are starting the same school as ours, and, and the husband, who's a musician, and Belinda, who did piano lessons as a kid, both said the same thing. They were forced to do piano lessons as a kid and hated it, Mm. but now are really grateful that they were forced to do it because if they hadn't done it, they probably would have quit, but now they have this basic in music and they appreciate it. And we were sort of talking about kids at that age really don't know what they need and and need to be... uh, It's probably good for them to be forced into the discipline of learning something like that. So anyway, I was just listening to David Lee Roth driving around this morning in between meetings. And he said exactly the same thing. Some guy had a caller call in and say, you know, I've got three kids and I put them through piano lessons and they both quit. And David's going, wait, 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 there's your first mistake. When they're six years old, seven years old, they don't have a choice. You make them do it. When they when they do their bar mitzvah, then they can choose. But, you know, at that age, they don't know what's good from there. You know, they're just going to watch cartoons and eat junk food if you let them do what they want to do. They need the discipline. And I thought, there you go. I, You know, I grew up with Dave. I took his personality. And now I'm getting, you know... Parenting advice Parent from advice. David Lee Roth. I mean, what more? Can- <laughs> this is the rock star who has everything. Bono can go and try and, you know, get them to get rid of third world debt. I'm getting parenting advice from David Lee Roth, who isn't a parent, by the way. Um, but anyway. he, he's not. He's not a parent. Well, Dave's one of these guys that's never had an... He's never, ad- he's never admitted that that he's got 20 kids, but he's got 20 <laughs> kids to 20 wives, right? Yeah, um, was, in, in his heyday, as, a, as, a, as the Van Halen frontman, he had this Lloyds of London... Uh, he had, a, he had a, an insurance con- uh, contract with Lloyds of London to insure him against paternity cases. You know, that, I think he was the first rock star to do that kind yeah. of shit. You know. Yeah. No, I, I actually agree with that. I think certain things you can let kids choose. I think probably sport is is something you kind of have to let 
your kid. I remember playing soccer and hating it, and so there's you know there's no point doing it. And eventually, I got into sport, but um, it took a long time because my dad was a, a really good cyclist, and my brother. Uh, was bloody good at everything. Um, you know, uh, running, triathlons, table tennis even. Like, he, he won trophies for it and all sorts of ridiculous stuff like that. So I never did any sport. But I think, um, music lessons, I think I agree. You have to, because otherwise you, you give a kid a choice, he's only going to pick one, one of the options, right, when it comes to music. They don't care at that age. But I never did it and I regret it. I wish I'd been forced to. Mm. Yeah. I didn't do it because I grew up, you know, on the wrong side of the poverty line, but um, I ended up teaching myself later on. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great thing for kids to have a grounding in. So, mate. Mate. Mate, that's uh, Cam and Rich's parenting advice. <laughs> I'd just like to say uh, thanks to everyone for the, uh, the... We've got a bit of feedback on the blog lately, people saying they like the co-host thing. So thanks for co-hosting with me, Rich. No, thanks for inviting me, mate. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I kind of looked at the news this morning in between meetings, the tech news, and it's all boring shite this morning, man. It's Yeah, wow. the last couple of days have been pretty... Well, one of the things... What was one of the things I looked at and went, yeah, it's a really slow day today. <laughs> Where was it? Uh, uh, well, there's stuff about G-Talker. I mean, Christ almighty, you know. Um Fine researchers. I can't remember which one it was, but I looked at it and I went, "Yeah, there's not much news." If if that one's hitting the top of the uh, top of the bucket, so yeah, uh, it's all pretty boring shit. I mean, a lot of people have. Uh, there's a lot of talk about um, RSS and IE7, which has pretty much taken up a lot of the news. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to play a clip. I don't know if I'm allowed to play this, but I'm going to play it anyway. Let me just check the website. DemocracyNow.org. There's a there's a podcast called Democracy Now from the DemocracyNow.org website, a daily radio and TV news program on over 350 stations, pioneering the largest community media collaboration in the US. Um, I'm sure it's pretty much all copyrighted, but I don't know. I'll, I'll send them an email later and, and ask them for permission. Can't see the copyright notices on the website. Um, Anyway, I, was just, I, I, I only just subscribed to this recently, can't remember why, but um, I was listening to one of the shows this morning, and they had a great speech by Gore Vidal, um, and it who? was sort Jesus, man, don't you know who Gore Vidal is? No. <laughs> he, he's lobbed into the same bucket as that other guy the other day that I didn't know, and, and have now promptly forgotten. Rich, have you, have you ever read a book in your life? I, I start reading books. <laughs> and then and then they get put on a shelf. So I look like I've read bucket loads, but in fact I've only read the first chapter of like several hundred. <laughs> well, I, I do the same thing, uh, and it's a good way of lo- looking intelligent, but not really being. <laughs> Gore Vidal is an American uh, playwright, novelist, uh, very famous commentator on the uh, American condition. Uh, has been around, you know, he's in his, jeez, uh, he's in his 80s now, I think. Born 1925, what does that make him? 80, yeah, 81. Wow. And, um, you know, he, he, he's very dry, very ironic, fairly scathing of the uh, political environment in the US at the moment. He was a political activist uh, through the 60s, um, kind of on the left, I guess. Um, so anyway, um, they had this podcast a couple of days ago. It was just, you know, George Bush gave his State of the Union address, um, a couple of days ago. And a couple of days before that, Gore Vidal gave his own State of the Union address, which was just classic. And I highly recommend that people check out, uh, the Democracy Now! podcast and have a listen to it. It was really good stuff. And I'm gonna play this clip, uh, where he talks about, um, <laughs> It's just, it's just funny. He's just slagging off George Bush and telling him to go back home. So you're not going to be able to hear this, Rich. But so you... I'll just sit quietly. <laughs> you'll be able to listen to it after. You'll have to go back and listen to the show and know what the hell he's <laughs> talking about. So any comments I make after this are completely uh, unrelated to what you're about to hear? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to comment on it either. It's just something I wanted to put in because I, I want people to listen to it. So here is Gore Vidal. 
This is a government that deals openly in illegalities, whether it is attacking a country which has done us no harm, two countries, Iraq and Afghanistan, because we now believe, not in declaring war through Congress, as the Constitution requires, but the president. Well, I think there are um, some terrorists over there, and I, I think we've got to bomb them. Huh? We'll bomb them. Now, we've had idiots as presidents before. He's not unique, but he's certainly the most active idiot that we have ever had. And now here we are, planning new wars, ongoing wars in the Middle East. And so as he comes with his State of the Union, which uh, he's going to justify eavesdropping without judicial warrants on anybody in the United States that he wants to listen in on, this is what we call dictatorship, dictatorship, dictatorship. And it is time that we object. Don't, don't say wait to the next election and do it through that. We can't trust the elections thanks to Diebold and S&S and all the electronic devices which are being flogged across the country to make sure that elections can be so rigged that the villains will stay in power. I think a, a sudden demonstrations across the country could be very useful on this famous Tuesday. Just say no. We've had enough of you. Go home to Crawford. We'll help you raise the money for a library, and you won't even ever have to read a book. You, we, we're not cruel. We just want to get rid of you and let you be an ex-president with his own library, which you can fill up with friends of yours who can neither read nor write, but uh, they'll be well-served and well-paid, we hope, by corporate America, which will love you forever. All right. So that was Gore Vidal from the Democracy Now! podcast. Thank you to everybody who, everybody at Democracy Now! who let me use that without permission. I'll ask permission later. Well, isn't, isn't that part of being a... Uh, isn't there some sort of journalism type thing where you can use stuff in, in sort of like radio shows and stuff like that and it, as long as it's, you know, reporting on something? Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, you know, um, mm, d- Democracy Now! is sort of an indie media thing anyway, so hopefully they're a little bit more uh, civilised, like we are. I mean, that's right. Most of our stuff, except we're explicitly stated because we didn't have the content in the first place. It's all because the copyright's already been signed away. But, you know, most of the stuff on TPN's done under fair attribution, so people can use it in any way, shape or form they like, as long as they credit it back to us as being the originators of the content. I think it's, it's all up there. It's, it's, it's healthy for people to be able to mash up that kind of stuff and use it and abuse it. That's, that's how we get different slants and innovation and everything's built on it. Nothing is new under the sun, as uh, Billy Shakespeare said. Rip, mix and burn. Yes, exactly, as Steve Jobs said. That's right. So, uh, yeah, listen to that. Listen to a couple of political podcasts this morning. The other one was Dissident Vox from the UK, which was okay. Really interested in finding more good political podcasts. Would really like a political podcast on TPN, apart from me. Actually, one of, one of the things I would really love to find is somebody to come on and argue politics with me. Or, in fact, I'd, I'd just like, like a, a black and white, a left and right sort of political show. People arguing opposite sides. And, uh, you know, because I think we need more political debate, more political discussion. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be I've, good. I've had almost no feedback to the uh, uh, poly the poly thing, by the way. I've had a couple of people go, yeah, fucking awesome idea, but, you know, two or three yeah. people. Yeah, go do it, Cam. <laughs> um, yeah, there's got to be some people out there that'd be keen on doing it. So you haven't got any feedback on how you'd go about getting a, a polygraph? Well, I, I haven't, I haven't drilled into that yet, but uh, you know, I'm thinking that it can't be that hard. I could be wrong, but you know, it wouldn't be the first time. Well, it might be the first time I've been wrong. You could make it up like the rest of politics. You I just pretend, pretend you're using it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love for some more poli- political stuff on here. I think we need to get people thinking and talking more about politics. Stop being distracted by technology. 
Um, here's something that I actually heard uh, on this Democracy Now! podcast, I think. No, 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 it was on the other one. It was on uh, Dissident Fox. No, it was on Democracy Now! Get my facts straight. The fact that Exxon, and I've done some blog posts on this in the last six months, that um, mobile Exxon, mobile Exxon, not mobile, mobile Exxon, mobile. Mm-hmm. the oil company, recently announced its profits. And it is the largest quarterly profit in U.S. history, um, thirty-six billion dollars for the Profit. quarter. My God! For the quarter. What do they do with that? What do, What do they do with that? Where does that money go? It goes to investors, right? Oh, hold on. That wasn't for the quarter. That was for, that was for the year, I think. But their last quarter was over ten billion dollars. Yeah. Now, uh, is it just me, or is it a coincidence that the U.S. has a president? who used to run an oil company, when the oil companies in the US are making the biggest ever profits in their history. Is it just mm. me? Is that a coincidence, do you think? Yeah. Is there something going on here? Definitely. Hey, uh, while we're talking about this stuff, have you heard of uh, Max Barry? No, but I've heard of Max Power. <laughs> Max Power. Isn't that uh, a function of a vacuum cleaner or something? <laughs> No, that was uh, Homer Simpson's name when he decided to change his name. <laughs> Is that when he got a wig? <laughs> no, he changed his name to Max Power. Decided to reinvent himself and change his That's name. That's a to very Max good Power. name. And, and no, Max- that, that you know society fell at his feet when he was called Max Power because it was a good, it was a powerful name. <laughs> yeah, he's an author, isn't he, Max Barry? I have heard the name. He is. Yeah, he's an Aussie author um, from uh, Melbourne, I think. Oh, really? I didn't. Um, he. Awesome stuff. You've got to grab, grab some of his work. I haven't read... Syrup was his first one. His second one was Jennifer Government, both of which are being made into movies. Wow. And uh, he's just finished another one. He's just coming back from the US after doing a book tour for company. And Jennifer Government, is it's a fantastic read. It's a near-future satire, basically, um, where major corporations now basically run the world. Um, Australia is a division of the US or something like that, um, and your name reflects who you work for. So Jennifer works for the government, hence Jennifer Government. Um, and but what he does is, and I was just listening to an interview with him on uh, one of the New York radio stations. Somebody recorded it and put it on there, but he was talking about how he goes to the nth degree of, you know, so he thinks of a concept for a business. Um, for instance, uh, in Jennifer Government, he writes about Nike or Nike, um, who, and, and they release a range of shoes, but what they do is they release it in a limited supply, so it'll hype the hell out of, um, and they do some other things which are really cool, but you've got to read the book because otherwise I'll spoil it, but, um, but it'll hype the hell out of it because, you know, they only release a limited supply. And so they release it at, uh, you know, Nike Town or something and a whole bunch of people beat the crap out of each other to try and get these shoes and, and ridiculous things like that. Anyway, so he wrote the, wrote the book. That was in it. A few months later, he's like amazed to find that something exactly that happened somewhere or another. Huh. But he writes this stuff that's just, yeah, really extreme. And he's, and he, what he was saying in the interview was he's actually finding it difficult to keep ahead of extremeness because it catches up really, really quickly. So to write something ridiculously stupid and some company will do it. Um, so anyway, it's a, uh, he, it's, um, yeah, have a look at, uh, have a look at Amazon for, for Max Barry. I think MaxBarry.com. Max yeah, in fact, go to his blog. He's just done a, a book tour and he wrote a, a lot about it. So he's a fabulous writer, really very good. He used to work at HP and um, wrote in his lunch break and stuff like that. But really? Kick ass. Yeah, very cool. I'd like to get him on the show. In fact, I tried to get him on a gadget show last year, but he was uh, he's, he's hard to get a hold of. He's one of the, the smart people that says on his website, um, you can send me an email and it'll go in with all the other several hundred that I have so you may never hear back from me. Um so I never got, never heard back from him. But I'd like to try again at some point once he's settled back down and, uh, you know, uh, spent some time with his wife and, and kid now that he's just come back from the tour. Hmm, well, he's a Melbourne boy. Hmm, there you go. Yeah. We should be able to track him down. Yeah. So, another author I'd love to get on the show is Matthew Riley. 
I mean, I, I've never read any of his books, but you know, he's obviously uh, fairly well known. Um, and for people listening outside of Australia who haven't heard of Matthew Riley, he's uh, sort of—I think it's sci-fi is his genre, I believe. Yeah. And uh, you know, he, he's sort of fairly famous because he self-published his first novel, and uh, could, you know, couldn't get a publisher, so he self-published it. He's only, uh, you know, early 30s now, and he was, you know, this was a number of years ago. And um, then finally, and, and somebody told me this morning, actually, we were talking about this, that um, he um, went to a bookstore in Sydney after he'd self-published, I think, a thousand copies using money that he borrowed from his family. Went to a bookstore in Sydney and said, can I place copies of the book on their bookshelves? They said, yes. And then uh, I think a, a, somebody from a big publishing company saw one of the books, picked it up, and he got signed, and and since then he's written a number of books, and you know there's film deals and all sorts of stuff, which is great. But you know, it's just I love I love stories of people who just get off their ass and make shit happen, you know. Yeah, and hats off to authors. I mean, I, it's funny. I was speaking to the co-author for the podcast book, and we both sort of were, were talking about how we you know we really respect um, fictional authors who apparently really respect um, non-fiction authors because they're amazed at how you can write and make it easy to read. Um, but you know, to, he basically. Um, so this is Max Barry wrote wrote his first book. Yeah, every day, 40 minutes for probably a year or so, I'm guessing. That that would be sort of like the length of time you would be required to write it. So hats off to these guys. Uh, and, yeah, I, I actually got a Matthew Riley book sitting on my bedside table, um, got it for Christmas, and when I when things start settling down now that I'm retired, um, I will, <laughs> will read it because there's several that I want to read of his. And wasn't it uh, in one of your interviews with Corey Doctorow where he talked about the fact that he just writes a page a day or something like that? Yeah, exactly. These guys, they just set aside 30 minutes or so each day and within a year you get you end up with a book, which, you know, it, it requires um, discipline. You have to you have to sit down and do it each day or, you know, maybe you can skip a day here or there, but, you know, you've got to do it for the year. Uh, I mean, this is what, uh, what is it, um, November. Is it November they have that big writing thing where every you're encouraged to, to write a book in a month and uh, it all just comes down to basically just getting down and, and writing it. So you just set aside 30 minutes, say, first thing in the morning or whatever, and first thing in the morning apparently is quite good because you you your logical part of your brain hasn't hasn't quite woken up yet, and so you basically just sit down and do um, what is it stream of thought, stream of whatever it is, stream of consciousness, stream of consciousness, and just play away. Don't edit your stuff. Just um, write it, um, and then you know editing comes later. Worry about that once you've you've got uh, everything down on paper. Oh, okay. I started to write a book on Napoleon a couple of years ago, and that was kind of my plan. I was going to do, you know, a, a page a day, and, and I did that for um, two days, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> no, I did it. I did it for maybe a month, um, and uh, yeah, the discipline is the thing, right? You're right. As yeah. in, as is most things in life, you know. The yeah, discipline exactly. To keep doing something after the initial novelty wears off and the shit starts to hit the fan. You know, it's just to keep going. In fact, I was talking to a mate of mine yesterday, um, Dennis Bastus. Um, Dennis, uh, good mate of mine, and, and he um, did a lot, number of dot com things uh, in the in the 90s, and then kind of got out of that, and and you know, sort of 2000, 2001 with the crash. And then did nothing for a couple of years, and I was really worried about him. Anyway, he ended up floating a company called Gene Farm in Australia. It's one of the top floats and one of the top generic pharmaceutical companies. Or wow. call, call him Dennis the Drug Baron now. <laughs> in fact, he was in the paper yesterday, and he was telling me yesterday their share price has gone up 50% in the last week. Um, they're kicking ass, man. Really? Wow. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, I sort of talked to him about TPN from time to time. He's one of my circle of... You know, mentors, counsellors that I sit down with on a regular CEOs and guys like that I sit down with and bounce stuff off of. And you know, he said to me yesterday something which is, I thought was pretty profound. He said, "The more good stuff that happens, the more bad stuff goes along with it." He said, "You know, when your business is doing nothing, there's nothing, <laughs> good or bad. You know, 
the more good stuff, the more goals you hit, and the, and the more you know exciting stuff that's happening. There's an equal amount of crap that goes along with it, and and you know it's it's never all good or all bad. It's the, this yin and yang thing always going on. So you just learn to deal with more and more shit as you go through. But um, and sometimes I think, particularly when you're doing a startup business, at times there is more shit than good stuff happening, and you just need to be prepared to. Knuckle down and get through the shit, you know. Yeah, weather the storm. Yeah, 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 and just keep your eye on the long-term thing you're trying to do. Discipline. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Way too profound for this show. Yeah, um, damn it. Here's some Australian IT news um, for people in Melbourne. Unwired is finally starting its Melbourne build-out. Unwired's a company run by an old boss of mine, David Spence. Uh, he used to run Aussie Mail, one of the first Australian ISPs that I worked for 10 years ago. And uh, he, they've got a wireless broadband network in Sydney, and uh, they're now rolling out their Melbourne uh, build of the broadband network down here on WiMAX. And um, that's pretty exciting. I mean, I, I think tel- you know these, these wireless broadband networks are kind of the future for... Not only internet access, obviously, but telephony and, and breaking the stranglehold on Telstra's local loop. Um, yeah, and so how's it how's it going in Sydney? How far have they rolled it out? Does it? Do you know? Like, uh, I, I mean, they obviously do the CBD. Do they do that? Uh, they target like some of the higher profile um, suburbs and stuff like that. Don't know. Don't know. But. Um you know, I can probably tell you, because I just went to unwide.com.au. Um, a map of Sydney below shows estimated unwide coverage in red and future coverage in yellow. Yeah, yeah, they got massive coverage over Sydney, man. I mean, massive. There's so much red on this map, it looks like somebody has got the pox <laughs> from a hooker in King's Cross. That's, that's what it looks like, man. It looks like a nasty venereal disease. That's so covered in red. Not that I have personal experience with that, ladies, if you're listening. I was going to start talking about Tasmania then, but I thought no. <laughs> Tassie. Um, yeah, no, so they've got massive coverage uh, right throughout the suburbs of Sydney already. So uh, I don't know what the speed is. What's WiMAX give you? It should be okay. I mean, it's not going to be sort of like the wired speeds and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. Let's have a look. Wiki. I'm looking at the wide side too to see if they say what kind of bandwidth you're getting, but... Yeah, I, it's just no point in me even thinking about it here in Perth. Nobody will care. Um, they just don't roll these things out in Perth, by the way. The listeners that wonder why I'm uh, lamenting the... Uh, yeah. Who would not live in Perth? Okay, so <laughs> they, they, their startup plan is um, 64K down and 32K up for 15.95 a month with 200 meg allowance. So, I mean, yeah, it's, and it's... Yeah. Throttled, or it must be if you go over it to 32.32. But it goes all the way up to um, uh, a meg down and 256 up for 120 bucks a month. Whoa. And 12 gigabyte in allowance. The, well, the basic one's pretty good though. That's pretty, I mean, like if you just want to roam occasionally, but you'll have your, your home network set up, um, you know, with ADSL or something like that, it's pr- pretty good, um, way to supplement, you know, if you need to go to a coffee shop and work. Well, I, as I think you know, I've had a NetConnect 3G card for my laptop for 18 months now. And yeah. I pay 100 bucks a month, it's capped at 100 bucks a month. And I pay 100 bucks, you know, I pay 100 bucks for that and I get, uh, I think it's capped up to f- uh, 500 meg in download or something. Gives me up to 500 meg, which you know. And what happens when you go over that? Do you I, I stop? No, I get charged an excess rate. I mean, I never have, mm. so I only use it like in between meetings. I'll sit down at coffee shops and do mail and blog and you know and whatever. So I don't, I don't use it for anything that's bandwidth intensive. And 500 meg, you know, just for doing mail and blogging is is more than enough. Yep. Um, so yeah, but, but a hundred bucks a month for, you know, wireless access anywhere and everywhere 24-7, um, in CBD areas, obviously, in Australia is fantastic. I mean, that's, yeah, in terms of the business value of me just being able to 
drop in at any coffee shop or sit on a park bench or sit in somebody's office and automatically be on a wireless network to show them something or sit in my car and look up somebody's address or email detail. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't even blink at the 100 bucks a month. So, you know, 100 bucks a month um, and the speeds that, that Unwired often offer and the cap, I mean, a meg down, I, I think I only get about 384 on the 3G card. So these guys are... Three times the speed, you know, um, 24 times the um, limit, the, the sort of the cap on it, for 120 bucks. That's fantastic. But it's probably worth going for that 15 buck one, right? I mean, you can do the same, but 15 bucks, that's nothing. Yeah, 64k. I guess 64k is enough for email, isn't it? Really? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, even the 30 buck a month one, the step up plan for broadband at 256. 30 bucks a month. For your email, that gives you 300 meg. Cheap as, cheap as chips. So I think I've got another bit less than a year to go on my 3G card and I'll probably dump it and get unwired if they get up and running by then. If, you know, if the pricing is still, I think, I know, I know, uh, Hutch, who run the 3G cards, have recently dropped their pricing. But of course I can't take advantage of that because I'm on the old plan. Don't you love companies that do that? Oh, well. You're such a loyal customer and you've been with us for the last year and a half that you can't get the advantage of the new pricing. Anyone who isn't a loyal customer gets the cheap price. But the guys that are, you would think you would give your, if you're dropping your price, you would think you would give your oldest customers first dibs. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, you would. That well, I'm planning on going to Optus and, and asking them if they will drop my, um, mobile Bill, because I've been with them. Well, I've been with them for for years, but the recent contract's about a year and a half, and I want to drop it because it's like a seventy buck plan or something, and you know it's it's not on any of those special, you know, capped deal type things. So when I do uploads to Flickr and ridiculous things like that, it costs me an arm and a leg. Yeah. So I'll test them out. And and that brings me to banks. Sorry, I'm hitting my microphone here, people. I just had to just drop something. Um, who do you bank with, Rich? Bank West. Oh, okay. Are they any good? Yeah, I, I actually don't mind them as far as Didn't they go broke banks. or something 10 years ago? Nah, they no, not that I'm aware of. When I think they Australia's were... economy collapsed, I thought they got... Oh, they could have done. R&I, I think, were they R&I? I think the R&I, but they, they're owned by, um, oh man. NAB? No, they're owned by a uh, English crew. Um, no, I'm not going to be able Charles? to. Rothschilds? H. Boss. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I bring this up is I got an, a little letter. I, I moved to Westpac about a year ago. I got a private banker after I left Microsoft and a personal banker and all that kind of stuff, which is nice. Nice to have a personal banker, private banker looking after you. You don't have to go and deal with the dickheads in the telecues and all that kind of shit. But I got this letter from them the other day saying, Dear valued customer, from now on, when you take, when you withdraw money from a non-Westpac ATM, we're going to charge you $2. Now, here's my point. I mean, when they started rolling out ATMs, the banks justified the drop in personal service by the fact that it was cheaper and the the benefits would be passed on to customers. Now, we all knew that wasn't going to happen because they're a bunch of crooks. And uh, they're run by big greedy corporations who are trying to get quarterly profits to pay their greedy shareholders, which are same, sometimes the same people that are... Anyway, let's not go there. Basically, the big fund companies who then make one bad investment, lose all the money that they've raped and pillaged out of the community. But anyway, let's not go there. Um, and I'm like, this is just highway robbery. $2 for them to do nothing. I, I walk up to a hole in the wall, and the hole in the wall's been there for 20 years, it's not like they haven't depreciated it 17 years ago. I stick my card in, and they go, oh, interconnect charges, yeah, we have to pay. Oh, fucking bite me. It's called the fucking internet. <laughs> what interconnect charge? It's like this whole, oh, you bank a check? Oh, yeah, it takes three days to go. It does not take three days to clear. Yeah, I like the, it takes three days to clear, but if you pay us 20 bucks, we'll get it through quicker for you. What's yeah. the money going to do for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have these arguments, you know, before I got a private banker, I'd go into the banks and they go, oh, yes, it takes three days. And I'd say, tell why? Oh, well, you know, we have to check. I'd say, well, you haven't, haven't you guys heard of email? 
It doesn't take three days. Don't give me that crap. It's called a float. It's called we can sit on your money, not pay you any interest. Don't be charging getting interest in the foreign exchange market. But um, here's the thing is, obviously, the banks, they're fucking themselves up. I mean, it's not as if we don't already hate them enough. They're just making us hate them more when they do this kind of shit. And PayPal's coming, man. I reckon we're a year away from a PayPal credit card. Ooh, that'd be good. If if PayPal came out with a credit card and said, well, you know, now we can give you better deals and you can use your PayPal credit card anywhere and charge it off. I've already got, I don't know, a thousand bucks sitting in my PayPal account that... You know, I, I just can't spend quickly enough. Um, I can't be bothered transferring it onto any one of my accounts. I mean, as soon as PayPal, as soon as, you know, Meg at eBay finishes building out the PayPal global network, I'll be dumping my bank the same way that I'm dumping the telcos as soon as I can and just going completely Skype. I'll be dumping the banks and going completely PayPal. Yeah. Yeah, very cool idea. And uh, they've got, I mean, they've got the right strategy. And Meg Wheatman's going to own my fucking ass, man. And good luck to her. Skype will be my telephony. PayPal will be my banking. eBay's already where I buy everything I can possibly buy. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> Yahoo. Jemaya. Um, Google, Jemaya. Yeah, Is that yeah. the uh, acronym? Yeah, yeah. Google, eBay... Microsoft, Yahoo, Amazon, and AOL. Yep. Yeah. Ownzord. Ownzord? Yeah, yeah. Geek speak. Oh, okay. They own your bum, man. Oh, um, <laughs> I thought it was another acronym. I was trying to figure nah. out what the acronym was. <laughs> <laughs> nah, is it Leet speak? Is no, it's gamers, that, gamers speak or one of those. Gamers yeah. speak, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but you know, eBay, they're doing a great job. And I've sold a bunch of shit on eBay recently. Like, um, the original baby seats that we had in the boot, uh, in the back seat, not the boot. We didn't keep out. We didn't see our kids in the boot. Um, that, that was somebody yeah, else. Did. That, that wasn't me. Schnell, Schnell. Um, yeah, I sold those at very bad. The kids, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine train set that we spent 500 bucks on and they played with for six months. Yeah, sold that on eBay. I mean, eBay is just the greatest thing ever, man. Hey, we were thinking of selling because we were just going through our home contents, you know, to reinsure on that. And and yesterday my wife sent me an email saying, yeah, we've got, you know, several thousand dollars of CDs insured. And I said, ah, take the CDs off. Who cares about them, man? And she goes, well, why don't we sell them? On eBay, yeah, and I and I said, ooh, good idea, but probably you know too much work for too little gain. But then of course, everything on my iPod, you know, then I become then everything on my iPod becomes well, it's illegal now in yeah. Australia. So it doesn't but, matter, man. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I wondered, and she was saying no, there's a lot of people selling like collections, like the Madonna collection, and you know I've got a few NXS ones and stuff like that. You don't want to sell them individually because then you've got to ship them individually. That's a pain in the ass. You sell them as a hit. I think it was the Geeks of Hazard podcast I was listening to recently. They were talking about some guy in the US who's got a business where you send him all your CDs and he sends you back a 60-gig iPod with all your music on it. Yeah, cool. And then he sells your CDs. Really? Yeah. He's got like a second-hand CD store or something. So you give him all your CDs. He gives you a free iPod with them all ripped. And then he sells the CDs, I think is how it works. But is that legal, though? Ah, fucking You know, as in... Yeah, well, true. Ah, Interesting stuff. If you pay for the CD, you should... I know. We're going down the... Corey oh. Doctor our route here you now, should, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. You should be allowed to rip it to your own device. You should be allowed to copy it onto your own device for your own listening... Lif- <laughs> your own listening <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> Hello, Thaler. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, if you sell the CD, that's legal. You should be able to sell... You can sell your own CDs. The fact yeah. that... Oh, I don't know. That you've got a copy of... Uh, you know. Yeah, too complicated. This is why these guys in QUT need to start uh, getting getting the bloody government to organise these things. I mean, the fact that we're still waiting for a, a fair use type act where we can legally use our iPods is just ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Banks, governments, they're all the same. Well, they are, and, and, and it's good to see that we're starting to break our hold on them by, you know, the, the eBays of the world, as I said. I mean, you know, I know that at the end of the day, eBay is a publicly listed company. Probably the, the top shareholders of eBay are the top shareholders of the rest of the world's uh, corporations, and most of them are evil. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at least eBay are doing some cool shit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's more about the people. That's that's the deal with the net. More about the people. Mm. Anyway, what other news you got? Nothing. I'm all out. I'm out of news, man. I'm I'm I'm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's been a pretty pretty boring week of news. Well, early, well, no, nah, even early news was boring. All about Google, and now there's no news at all. Well, let me wrap up with some um, TPN and G'day World stuff. Um, what I want to invite people to do. Actually, we could do this right now. Um, I want to invite people to come on the show. Cool. You know, um, here we go. Paul Montgomery has a startup called Tin Finger in Melbourne. He keeps saying, when can I come on the show? When can I come on the show? So I'm Skyping him now. Ringing... If you don't answer the, if you don't answer this Skype call, Paul, then you know you get one shot. Never be on the show. That's it. You get one shot. Oh, hello. G'day, Paul. Paul, I need to get my headset down. Learn to use Skype, Paul. Got to be prepared. It's back to the early days of G'day. Hello, hello. Paul Montgomery, you're on G'day World. Oh, oh, hi. Oh, sorry, I, I just had to go get my um, my headset, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, say good day to Richard Giles. Hello, Richard Giles. Good day, Paul. Tell us all about Tin Finger in 30 words or less, Paul. You've got 30 seconds. Your time starts now. Uh, it's a website designed to really tick off uh, Cameron Riley. 25 uh, seconds left. You better use it smartly. <laughs> okay. Seriously, <laughs> it's a human search engine. It's uh, supposed to be a place where if you're a fan of someone, then you go there and you share your fandom with other fans. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the 10-second that's the picture. I even came in early. Wow, you got five and seconds. And why is it named Tin Finger? Uh, stink well, Finger or something like that. <laughs> there's a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's a, it's a conglomeration of two uh, old Unix apps, Tin being an old uh, Usenet newsreader. And, of course, Finger, which is the main bit of it, which is uh, uh, an application where you'd learn all about a particular person. So all of, all of their network information and whatever other information that they choose to, to, uh, to, to, to uh, make public. So that was the, uh, th- that's, I suppose, one of the puns behind it, but also the fact that our, our, uh, our mascot is a robot and a lot of the, the, uh, uh, the content is... Uh, Gathered by robots, but also the the, the fact that the, it's a tin finger, the, the finger is that uh, you know there, there is certainly a human finger on the on the pulse of the of the content. So the, the, there's a it's, a it's a confluence of the robotic and the human. And that people was, have to enter. That was the most pathetic explanation for the name I've ever heard, Paul. You've got to get back to the drawing board on that one, mate. Just well, make you, one up. You, you've called me out of the blue after after I've, I've hey, pleaded with you for. I could for be a I could be a venture capitalist with a billion dollars waiting to invest, mate. You get one shot at an elevator pitch. If that's if you're not prepared, well, you've got well to be actually, a Boy Scout man. Now that you say that, I actually uh, did, did the first of these yesterday, so uh, I have... Uh, well, there you go. You should be practised, man. You should be prepared. Your investment... <laughs> you'd you'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when are you going to launch, man? Uh, well... I keep we telling you, you could come on the show when you actually had something to fucking show me outside of a PowerPoint deck. <laughs> well, the... the uh, yeah, the, we should have really launched about a week ago, but I've been dragging my feet partly because I've had the flu, and you can probably hear that now in my voice. Oh, you don't want to launch a website when you've got the flu. Well, you know, there's still code to be done, and I haven't, really felt like, uh, I haven't felt like done doing anything, you know, remotely coding related. Just sort of felt like sitting in my bed and uh, and reading William Gibson to make me feel better. Oh, what are you reading? Uh, well, I've just uh, finished rereading the Bridge trilogy, um, which I think, especially the second book of, of that, uh, which is Iduru, uh, is probably the oh, most. Oh, Idoru! I read Idoru. that years ago. Yes. That was a great yes. book. 
I love yes, that. I love that bit in the opening scene where he's flying into Tokyo, yeah. and he can see the skyscrapers rippling, and realizes they're nanobots doing constant repair bec- and and revamping because of the earthquakes. The nanobots are just completely just swarming over this thing, doing molecular level repair. And I went, yeah, that's cool shit, man. That's right. So the the the, the premise of that novel is that uh, there's a well, the the Idaru of the of the title is a uh, software construct which is. Uh, a, uh, a uh, new, a new kind of uh, like rock star. Pop star. Yeah, mm. pop star. Yeah. All right, Paul. That's all you got time for, mate. Oh, is that it? Shoot, yeah, that's it, mate. Got other people oh. to talk to. You know, I just thought I'd, you know, just uh, drop in. Yeah, drop in. Say good day. So can I come back when I've got something to show? When you've got something tell? to show, you're allowed to come back on, man. Oh, thanks, mate. Thank you, Paul. Give people the URL. Tinfinger.com. www.tinfinger.com. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Okay, see ya. Bye, Paul. See ya. All right, got rid of Paul. I'm glad I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We used to do this at the very... In fact, you know, uh, as people want a little bit of background, this is how, you know, we started the whole idea of interviewing people on G'day World was when Mick and I were bored one night and I said, let's just start Skype bombing people. And you ruined the life of, of one of your mates. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a mate. He was just a guy on my Skype list. <laughs> Will! <laughs> G'day, Will, if you're still listening. We caught Will, like, it was like midnight, and he wasn't quite ready, and I accused him of being stoned. <laughs> and ever since then, I think he's got a reputation for being a stoner developer guy. But he's not. He's a good guy, Will. I actually met him about six months later. <laughs> and a, he, uh, a geek he, dinner. he lacks complete confidence now. He's, he's yeah, needed he's uh, totally help. He's been, he's been into... Paul just jumped up and I'm saying, you rat bastard, I'll get you for that, Riley. <laughs> oh, you big pussy, Paul. Um, now, something I wanted to say about G'day World, so this, uh, the reason I did that is I want, I want people to come on the show. And what I was going to say is you can either send me an email and say, hey, you said I'd like to be a guest on G'day World, just to come on and chat with Rich and I, just to join in. Join. It's not an interview, it's just to come in and join in the regular sort of banter. Kind of show, the banter. Or, um, you know, we tend to do the show about 12 p.m. Australian Easter time. Not every day, but most days, depending on what Easter time got going on. Eastern time, you dickwit. <laughs> and uh, what I was going to suggest is that, you know, if you if you see that I'm online and it's around about the middle of the day, uh, just IM me and say, hey, can I be on the show? And uh, if, you know... If and I just say, be prepared. Make sure you've got, got thick skin because... Cameron, Cameron can use some interesting words. <laughs> like? Like dipshit. Dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> and don't be a stoner. Don't be a stoner. Well, if you're going to come on the show, if you're a stoner, then no, you're going to no, lose no. it. Yeah, better if you're a stoner. <laughs> we more, want stoners. More material for us to work with. That's true, yeah. So... We encourage you, if you're a stoner, to send us an IM and make sure that you're on the show. Yeah. Now, the other thing I wanted to uh, launch, I've been thinking about for a while, is, you know, at the beginning of all the podcast network shows, we've got this, you're listening to the podcast network thing. And, the, and we've had a bunch of those over the years, and oh, over the years, over the last <laughs> year. And um, I've always been trying to encourage the hosts to come up with their own variations on that and, and make them available, because I think, you know, there's probably a lot of creativity that it's going to be a lot more creative than anything I'm going to come up with. And, and you know, no one's done anything and the, the, without me twisting their arm. So what I was going to suggest, the one we've got at the moment is one that Time White from the Microsoft show and the BizBlog show did because I asked her because she had this really sexy, husky voice. You're listening to the podcast network. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, uh, yeah don't do that again, mate. <laughs> Wait, to get a stiffy, man. Um... <laughs> What, I, what I'd like to do is, is get the listeners, if you want to do the Podcast Network promo, record a promo, send it to me as an MP3 file, and um, I'll pick the best one and we'll use it. And, you know, I'll give it to all the hosts to use on all the shows. And, you know, we've got a couple of hundred thousand listeners that will hear your TPN promo. So this is your shot at fame and stardom without doing your own podcast. You can do the, the intro, the TPN intro for all the TPN podcasts. So there you go. My favourite one was your impersonation of Mick when you were doing the movie show once. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, that's a long time ago. I don't want to do that, yeah. 
Uh, you have to dig up one of the early shows, people. One of the early uh, movie shows. I think it was like the second, third, fourth, something somewhere early in in the piece. And uh, Cameron does his impersonation. It was pretty funny. If you'd like to sponsor this show, <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> oh, that was a shocker. Um, now, got to finish up. Got to wrap this bitch up. Okay. Um, word of the day, Rich. Yep. What do we got? The word of today is one of my favourite words. It's a word that I use at least once a day. It's and not a swear word then, because you use them more often. Oh, a lot more often than once a day. <laughs> we should actually we should do the genesis of some swear words, shouldn't we? Yeah. In fact, the um, one of the blog, uh, what was it? There's one of those word type blogs. They actually did did a show dedicated yeah. to stuff like that. Well, you've just convinced me. The word fuck. I actually had uh, somebody, uh, who was it? Uh, whoever you were, a nice nice lady, sent me an email about G'day World, I think, the other day, saying, look, I really enjoy the show, and I'd like to you know, recommend it to a lot of my friends and family, but you swear too much. And I said, you're right, I'm sorry, I apologise, and I'm, I'm going to try and stop that. I'm going to use frack. I'm going to use the Battlestar Galactica terminology, frack it. But I'm, I'm going to use fuck now, because I think it's a really interesting word. Now, I'm taking this again from the Online Etymology Dictionary. Um, it's a difficult word to trace, in part because it was taboo to the editors of the original Oxford English Dictionary when the F volume was compiled in 1893 to 1897. Written form only attested from early 16th century OECD second edition cites 1503 in the form fuck it, F-U-K-K-I-T, or fuck it. Earliest appearance of current spelling is 1535, in a book called An Satyr of the Three Estates by Sir David Lindsay. Really? The Three Estates? So he's talking about um, media? No, no, no. Media is the fourth estate, mate. Do you know what the three estates no. were? You had the king was the first estate. Yep. The, the nobility was the second estate. And the church was the third estate. So it's not surprising that that's where fuck comes from. <laughs> so the quote is, bishops may fuck their fill and be vinmariet. Oh, I don't know what that word is. V-N-M-A-R-Y-I-T. There you go. So he obviously wasn't very um, happy about the bishops. Anyway, but presumably as much more ancient word than that, simply one that wasn't likely to be written in the kind of texts that have survived from O-E and M-E, Old English and, and Modern English. Buck cites proper name John LeFucker from 1278. <laughs> the word apparently is hinted at in a scurrilous 15th century poem entitled Flen Flis, or Flen Flies, written in bastard Latin and Modern English. The relevant line reads... Non sunt en celi kia fucunt uis of hali. Uh, now apparently that translates as they, and he was referring to the monks, are not in heaven because they fucked the wives of Eli. Don't know what that means, but there you go. Fucant, F-U-C-C-A-N-T, is pseudo-Latin, and in the original is written in cipher. The earliest examples of the word otherwise are from Scottish, which suggests a Scandinavian origin. There you go, I didn't know that. Perhaps from a word akin to Norwegian dialect fuka, F-U-K-K-A, meaning copulate, or Swedish dialect fokka, F-U-C-K-A, which means copulate, strike, or push, and fok, F-O-C-K, which means penis. Because the the, uh, Vikings invaded Scotland. Well, that explains a lot. I've actually got, um, for Christmas, my wife gave me a pendant of Molnar, Thor's Ooh. hammer, based, yeah. based on a design that was found in Sweden that dates back to the 11th century, I think, because I'm a big fan of Norse mythology. And mm. um, I love the whole mythology about Thor was the first superhero, I've always said. Apart from maybe, you know... He was, I've seen the cartoons. Yeah, that's right. No, there was a lot of superheroes. I mean, Jesus was basically a superhero. He could fly, he could walk on water. It's almost as good as flying. Um... Anyway, it reminds me of a fancy dress party. On New Year's Eve, at the turn of the century, we had a, some friends of ours through a New Year's Eve party, and the uh, the theme, the fancy, it was a fancy dress party, and the theme was, come as your favourite science fiction character, because we were going into 2000. No, hey. no, going into 2001, or one of the two, I can't remember. And I went as God. 
I, I see that God was my favourite sight. So I had this long white wig and long white thing and the flowing robes, and my wife was very upset at me, said I was going to offend people. Sacrilicious. Um, what did people say? Uh, I, I told them I was um, either God or um, uh, Zeus, depending on whether or not I thought the person I was talking to was going to be offended if I told them I was God. Because, <laughs> you know, God, as... as, as we think of it is actually based on Zeus. I mean, the, the, the man sitting in the clouds, throwing lightning bolts and having the long white beard is basically based on Zeus, right? Um, but it's not. It's very unlikely, mate, to be worried about what people thought. I thought you would just tell everybody. Yeah, but my wife was going to, you know, disown oh, me. Okay, I was already yeah. in enough trouble with her and, you know, all that True. Understand. Um, and uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yes. Did you know? Have you been to Rome? Yes. I mean, did you go into the Sistine Chapel and look at Michelangelo's ceiling and the whole deal? I did. When I was there, they told us that when in in that uh, creation scene, no, not the creation scene, in where the God creates the the heavens and separates the thing, the Genesis, uh, you know, the early part of the Genesis scene on the ceiling, that that was the first time that God had ever been painted. Really, in Western Christendom. Yeah, because you weren't supposed to paint God. And uh, actually, and I know this is getting right out of the scope of G'day World now, but it's, um, do you know the Tetragrammaton? I'm probably going to have somebody correct me on this shit, which is good. Please do, because this is just my understanding of it. You know what the Tetragrammaton is? No, I haven't heard of that one. Um, it's a symbol in, I think it's Arabic. The symbol in, in uh, it might be, it's probably Hebrew, actually. It's a symbol in Hebrew. Uh, it's several characters long. Which is basically where Jehovah comes from. It's YHVH, which apparently was the way that God was um, mentioned in the earliest existing versions of the Old Testament. And I have been told by people who, who apparently know such things, oh, I read it on the internet, um, is that the reason that they use this, uh, this tetragrammaton is you weren't supposed to speak the name of the Lord. Yeah, exactly like what Monty Python showed in The yeah, Life of Brian. Well, that's what Monty Python were getting at. Anyway, let's get back to fuck. Much more interesting. So, yeah, well, that's where it stems from. There it goes on, and on. another theory traces it to modern English. Uh, modern English or medieval? Well, I don't know what M-E stands for in these things. Um, fike, F-I-K-E, to move restlessly, to fidget, which also meant dally or flirt. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So there you go. Uh, not as interesting as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's not. I think that's interesting. It was outlawed in print. The word fuck was outlawed in print in England by the Obscene Publications Act in 1857 and the US by the Comstock Act in 1873. The word may have been shunned in print, but it continued in conversation, especially amongst soldiers during World War One. And this is why everybody's got an issue with it, right? It's just a word. The legal barriers broke down in the 20th century with the Ulysses decision... Uh, in 1933 in the US, and Lady Chatterley's Lover, US 1959, UK 1960. Johnson excluded the word, and fuck wasn't in a single English language dictionary from 1795 to 1965. The Penguin Dictionary broke the taboo in the latter year. Houghton Mifflin followed in 1969 with the American Heritage Dictionary, but it also published a clean green edition without the word to assure itself access to the lucrative public high school market. The, abbrevi- the abbreviation F probably began as euphemistic, but by 1943 it was being used as a cuss word too. In 1948, the publishers of The Naked and the Dead persuaded Norman Mailer to use the euphemism thug instead. When Mailer later was introduced to Dorothy Parker, she greeted him with, So you're the man who can't spell fuck. <laughs> the quip sometimes is attributed to Tallulah Bankhead. Um, you know, I, I, and I've always thought it's so. When people say, oh, it's too much cursing, it's just a word, people. It's a sound. It's not as if I'm coming there and doing it to you. Get <laughs> over it. It's the 21st century, people. Get the fuck over it. My God. You people are so petty, small Brained, mundane. But thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Come back, <laughs> come back next week. But seriously, I mean, come on. It's a word, people. Jesus. Well, so is that. I'm not supposed to say that either, am I? Don't know. <sighs> All right. <laughs> I guess we should wrap it up there. I'm rabbiting on. <laughs>
Any final comments from you, Richard Giles? It's Friday. Got any plans for the weekend, mate? Yeah, we're going down south because my wife's um, competing in a swim event in preparation for the Rocknest swim. So we're going down uh, tomorrow midday-ish and spending the night and getting up early on Sunday to go... Um, well, she's getting up early. I'm getting up early just to go watch her go swim in the ocean. Well, that's good, man. Good for you. Are you going to join in? Are you swimming? Are you a swimmer? No, I'm a, a lazy bastard yeah, by preference. Yeah. I've always said that. <laughs> about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always said that about me, mate. Oh, all right. Okay. No, no. no. Um, when, you didn't, when you didn't do a gadget show for no. like a month, I said that, but I took it back. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be good. It's good fun. But no, I'm not doing that. I, I prefer to uh, do my Betty PT, which I've got to renew my subscription to. Oh, have you got a health blog set up yet? Betty, Betty's our health coach and the host of the uh, health and fitness show on TPN. Have you, has she made you set up a fitness blog yet? No, no, because I've been lax and haven't actually uh, chatted with her in a couple of weeks. So I've got to, got to sort all that out and get signed oh, back up man. again. She's a hard ass. Love you, Betty, but she's a hard ass, man. She made me set up this health and fitness blog so I could publish what I was doing on a daily basis so she could subscribe to it via RSS and so could everyone else. And she's been, not just you, everyone's been bitch slapping me. If I miss a day, I get like 20 emails. Why haven't you done your exercise today? What's huh. the blog? Uh, I don't know. Um, Riley.typepad.com uh, slash cams underscore fitness underscore blog. <laughs> Not really the easiest URL. But <laughs> For a reason there, right? <laughs> well, I linked to it off my main blog, so you can find it on there. Oh, okay. All right, buddy. That's a show. Thanks for cool. joining us. Thanks, mate. Talk to you later, buddy. See you, Mike. See ya. Interesting stories about travel-related people, products, places, and ideas. The TPN Travel Show, travel.podcastnetwork.com. Take the first step on your next travel experience. Podcast Network, real power can't be given. It must be taken.